1: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. 80 to get 30, 30 to get 30, Better to get 20, 20, 20 to get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
0: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. John Copenhaver and Al Warren Heard on KCB, 106.5 FM
1: Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside,
0: and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
3: We have Alan Power with us. Um, thank you for doing the interview.
2: You're welcome, Al. Looking forward to it. Great.
3: So, um, let's before we get into the meat let's talk about you so um <clears throat> what led you to uh writing about uh diana and uh and got you into this subject uh, we just tell the audience a little bit about yourself
2: okay um basically, I just had um a desire to write for some time i had a an i t company for uh, a few years and uh That went and I decided I was going to take up my desire to write a book. And there were lots of things I was thinking about writing. But the one thing that really annoyed me intensely was the uh, state of uh, the British nation and the the monarchy and uh, the way they were treating Diane Spencer. And then when she was finally murdered, I just could not believe it. And I was so enraged by it that I just thought something's got to be done about this. And I thought, well, yeah, but what can I do? Nobody else has managed this, and I thought, well, no point in saying that. If anyone said that, nothing will ever happen, so I gave it a go, and I started this in uh, 2003, uh, in November 2003, and uh, just went uh, flat out researching the detail, interviewing people, uh, reading stuff that existed about it in the whole bit, um, and then by 2006, I'd written the uh, the non-fiction side of it. And then I'd also written a real strange mix I'd had. I had the first half of the book as non-fiction and the second half as um, a story, reverse engineering the facts from what I'd written down and I'd, I'd cleaned, to write a story of what, in my view, happened. Uh, and that, in fact, I'm in the process of editing right now. It's come out in a few weeks' time. And we try to get people like... Um, Penguin and to Little Brown, who had some degree of interest in it in about 2006, to publish it as a book, non-fiction in the front and then fiction at the back. But uh, so they thought it was uh, an interesting idea I got from one person, but uh, they said, no, it wouldn't work. So then I had break them down. And then, of course, after I'd done all that, then 2007, the inquest was coming up. Then I knew I'd have to spend quite a lot more time researching the inquest to add to what I already had. The evidence I'd gleaned before that. <clears throat> and that gave me a chance then to um, assess what, was, what happened during the inquest, what I knew had happened before, and to notice all the issues, all the points they hadn't brought out at the inquest, they hadn't discussed or they'd given a different interpretation to, and all the main and very important points they'd deliberately ignored. So that gave me a lot more clout to write my book, um, and that's where I went on from there.
3: Right. So, now, when you were uh, doing the research and kind of uh, going to write the book, how, how, how did people respond to you, um, like when you were talking to people
2: or out researching? Uh, by and large, very well. Um, the, uh, the response was quite good. I think a lot of, most of the witnesses uh, really um, didn't like what's happened any more than I did. Uh, but they're in a difficult position because they've witnessed events take place, and they've obviously had some pressure on them not to respond uh, in too positive a way. Um, it, it, and, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that. Uh, I had one, for example, the Japanese TV companies interested in doing some work, and I was very sure I could get some of these witnesses to come along and uh, uh, talk to us, and they'd go on camera on Japanese television, uh, and I, I couldn't get one single witness to take part, uh, none of them would join in at all.
3: So what, 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 what do you think the fear is, like, or, or is it just, like, what's the reason behind that, do you
2: think? Uh, basically, yeah, it's intimidation part of the British police and the British security services, uh, and indeed also, I think, the French uh, DGSE as well, the equivalent of uh, CIA or MI6 in France. They just um, were contro- they're controlling the whole thing. They put a clamp on the whole thing. Uh, it was not to be released to what had happened, what have been responsible for her death. Um, and they just, they like, they intimidated people. I mean, I've been intimidated myself, uh, and they just intimidated people to try and prevent them from taking the risk. Uh, it didn't work with me, and it has worked with a lot of other people out there.
3: Right. And so... Um... Let's 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 start in then. Um, so, how do you um, sort of think that Diana was killed? I mean, obviously in the car, but what, what do you think the uh, how do you think the plan came about?
2: Well, I think my, my personal view is that, um, and I think from a lot of uh, cross-reference information, so I can't say to you that I know, you know I watched a man give a nod to MI6. Clearly, I didn't do that. Uh, but one can glean information by reading through the evidence and, and understanding various aspects of what took place. Uh, it's pretty clear to me that the nod came from the palace uh, to MI6 um, to continue with the assassination. Um, and I think that's where essentially it came from. Uh, the MI6 group that was put into this as a black op uh, used a team called the Increments, which is a team of uh, SAS and SBS troops that are seconded to MI6, specifically for the purpose, and indeed the Prime Minister, for specifically the purpose of dealing with um, violent situations offshore, not allowed to do it in the country, theoretically. Uh, so that was basically a team specifically for that purpose and trained for that purpose.
3: Right. And so now I've heard a lot of different reasons. Um, why do you think Diana had to
2: be killed? There are several reasons. The people come up with all sorts of different ideas. coming come up about the, the um, landmine situation and being a throughout the world, both the U.S., the U.K. and other governments. Uh, in the arms industry and less, you know, the cash that they were making out of the arms industry Um uh, perhaps of no, there was a truth from that but who was the main central reason that the monarchy was involved that I wouldn't mean the monarchy alone I wouldn't have thought uh... The, I think the, the prime reason was that Diana had been abused from the very beginning I and mean, she was abused before she was even married and um, Charles Benson was even you know, shacking up of um, Camilla Parker Bowles uh, before he got married, and on his wedding night. So the whole thing is just quite unbelievable. She was just abused, treated like an incubator, um, and treated appallingly quite frankly. Um, so really, she was just used for one particular purpose. Now, she knew that, obviously not at the time, but later on she did. And when she realized what had happened, so how she'd been used and abused, she had a, her and spares, the calls so of William and Harry, uh, then that was it, her job was done. And she said, when that happened, when uh, Harry was born, uh, Charles saw her in the Queen the hospital in London, that he saw her uh, and he left, and so she said she knew at that moment that he'd gone to his baby, as she described it. That was it, it was over. Uh, he'd done his job, He's done his duty, uh, and uh, the children were there. So she was just used as a chattel, uh, and that was just quite, honestly, frankly, completely disgusting. Um, and then, of course, she got really annoyed by it, and she was a very independent individual, a very strong-willed lady, and she wasn't a up with it. And she had some lots of evidence about what they'd been getting up to, at the palace and all their exploits and their predilections they had. Um, and she was making a, she made up a dossier, a thick dossier on this, she had two, her copy of it, and she gave one, the copy, to her friend uh, Simon Simmons, Simon Simmons um, who uh, got nervous, unfortunately, and said she destroyed it after being you know, under her mattress for about a month because she was very nervous about what was going on, on behind the scenes. Uh, that was after Diana had been murdered, of, of course. Um, so I think without a doubt that was the prime reason for it. Also, the police spent some time trying to track down these. Um, Stolen artifacts, as they call them, and they're checking up with Paul Barrel and this uh, guy called Brown, and one of her Diana's other butlers. And they checked, they arrested them both, they investigated them, they searched search their homes a lot, and I'm pretty certain they were looking for the uh, for the dossier, <laughs> not for stolen artifacts. And within about literally two, two years later, it you know, took about two years to bring this thing to court. Um, Bell was about to go into court, and amazingly, the Queen remembered, literally a matter of just a couple of days before he was going to give evidence about what he knew what was going on, uh, she suddenly remembered that he'd taken them for safekeeping, and there was no need to go to court at all. So that <laughs> was all called off. Uh, the whole thing was really quite remarkable.
3: Yeah. So do you, um, do you, do you think um, the people that were in the car were involved, like the driver, for instance, Henry Paul?
2: No, 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 no. Um, only Paul was um, basically conned into running the show. He was basically, um, uh, he, he was a very loyal servant, a loyal um, employee of uh, the Ritz Hotel of Fyad and, uh, and of Davie. Uh They worked all very well together, and he did his job looking after them, driving around the place occasionally in there just to help out. Um, no, he, he certainly wasn't, wasn't involved, but he was known to be... Cooperative. Uh, he'd be, he's ex military and he's used to just doing as he was told, basically. And he was st- structured by MI6 um, to set the whole thing in motion, to bring it to where they wanted to be. Use used the car they chose. They chose the particular car um, without tinted windows. The flash would be to work when he went up uh, smaller cars so the windows wouldn't be blacked out, uh, all sorts of stuff. And they got um, him to drive this. And mean, they could have easily got somebody else to drive it. There was another guy available. Um, and in fact, even the uh, chauffeur could have been brought back in for it. Uh, but they got him to drive. They knew he would drive, and they it instructed him, in my view, to take the car that particular route, just the route it had to take, and it had to go into it had to enter the the Amma um, tunnel. Uh, otherwise, you know, there would have been no assassination. Hmm.
3: And um, so you now, Dodi Fayed. Um, did it matter that he was in the car? Do you think there was any sort of angle toward him either, or?
2: No, I think perhaps this, um, uh, I think the target was without dad, Diana, she was number one target, and she had got to go, um, it was uh, because of the, the situation with the monarchy, because of the situation of what she knew, because what would have come out respect to respect whether she married, fired or not, um, that's, uh, I think the fact that he was in the car was probably the way they thought the bonus. If I could just get you know the whole lot wiped out in one go, it was the best way of, of handling it. I think, uh, as far as uh, only Paul was concerned, I think he was also a target, by the fact, because he was known what they'd been telling him to do. He have known, known who was telling him what to do. It, uh, and I think if he survived, then he could have given some serious evidence against them. So I think uh, fired uh, Diana, in fact, the only one that really wasn't on the target list was... Um, with Trevor uh, Jones. Um, but uh, having said that, I think they'd rather he'd gone as well, because uh, there, was, there was a man there who knew what had happened. And he's actually been known to have said to have fired uh housekeeper, uh, Mackenzie, Karen Mackenzie, later, a few months later, that if I remember, they'll kill me.
3: What do you think? it's going to turn out now, like, what, now, now that there's um, more talk about it again and uh, more people are doing things, do you think they, they'll ever change, they'll ever discover, or anybody will go to trial for it? think uh,
2: Well, in order to make that happen, we have to be very, very, um, very fortunate, I think. Quite frankly, I think it's highly improbable because, you know, um, Anyone who's getting close to us, uh, like I like I have been, gets set on. Um, I've had, um, when I was a I went to my flight training. i the a pilot, private pilot. I went to you know, flight training in Gloucester Airport, a little Stamson Airport. Uh, and on the way back from Staverton to Douglas, south man, to Rollinsway Airport. Um, the plane was half full, and I went on Saturdays on the way back. It was a few weeks before my book was published. The first one was published, you know, the one with, uh, with the areas in, that had been stuck in there by MI6. Um, there was a guy sitting on the aircraft next to the seat that I, I was allocated. And we went sat down. there was a long chat. He was um, MI6 GCHQ uh, computer section. His name was Patrick. Well, he was Patrick Condon, I presume. Um, and he, we had a long chat about the book. He told me that my book was sort of cause him a serious problem. Um, all sorts of stuff. Now I'd like to know how he knew that because the book hadn't just been published. So how is he able to read it? <laughs> uh, and of course, they're supposed to have permission to do this sort of thing. They're supposed to have especially a legal framework in which they're able to apply for this sort of thing. So some presumably must have given them permission to get access to my work, even though quite recently the government have been trying to pass this through Parliament so they will have the power, they'd, they'd be able to invoke such powers. They made me to bother, they did anyway. <laughs> bother. Um, he knew all about this stuff. Uh, and he came over in several articles and just Smiled at me, looked me in the eye, and said, "Um, Good luck, Alan. And then Dan Walt was going down. He's the one I'm pretty certain, probably, most probably, personally, put the changes in my book, put the errors in my book to try and destroy my credibility as a public.
3: Right. And so, how is that turning out for you? Like, how's that gone? Like, with.
2: Well, first of all, that happened, and then, of course, I found out about it, so I went flat out. I think he wanted to find out, actually, whether, in fact, I knew, because if I'd known, I was just popped everything all it out, done all the changes, then pushed it out again. So there'd been no need, then, there would been no point in having this other character come out with some rubbish and peck of lies about me to enhance it further. Um, and this, this guy came out with some stuff about my book, which was doing extremely well. You know, 2,000 copies, hard copy, hard in the first eight days, and um, suddenly the, this stuff starts to falter because um, they're just saying this pack of lies about me. Um, so that has caused a major problem. Then, after I've done all the changes for the last year almost, I'm not able to sell them in the US or in the UK still because Amazon just hadn't been able to uh, somehow organize the sales so they could be bought through the, uh, through the system. So I've had a major problem over the last 15 months.
3: Wow, and has uh, it gotten a little better the last few day, few months or the last, is it?
2: No, probably enough, I, I told, um Jeff Bezos I've taken it to, and he nice, has got his team looking into it and has for the last six weeks, so maybe seven or eight weeks. Um, and it's only been this week which is fact, of days ago we a sort of that in the u.s. you can now go on com and buy the, um, the the new version the um, updated version of the book you now get it but you couldn't until then for the whole of the last year and amazing and I'll know useful cards in the uk i'm sorry i'm making work over here uh, but the amazing the bbc calls this last year just gone the royal year uh, so you can imagine how they feel about this book of mine being out there zipping around the place while they're trying to uh, you know, push the monarchy further forward, especially William and Kate, and trying to get us to a more pleasant side of the monarchy and try and put the rest of them in the background.
3: Have you, have you um, ever talked to any of the royal family or any of their people, let's
2: say? No, I've had Harry on my, uh, on my website. I haven't um, actually spoken to him directly at all. Um, I have considered actually try to contact Harry because he'd be the only one worthwhile speaking to him. Um, he's a bit more of a lad. He, he'd be, I think, bloody furious what happened to his mother. I'm mean, not that William wouldn't, but uh, he's got a job. He's going to become king, and he's got a huge responsibility. But I think Harry might be persuaded to uh, be a little more accommodating. So that may be, well, it is on my list, but it's not priority. Yeah, yeah.
3: And so no response from the royal family at all?
2: Not to my book, no. I mean, other than have MI6 do what they've been doing and have intimidation, intimidation of me, people kind of following me across from the ferry to England and the ferry back over again. And then the same guy uh, with two guys in the back of the car about six weeks after he's following me back across over to the island, um, coming down my, walking down my drive and with two guys in the back of the car. Uh, so I spotted him and went outside and uh, we eyeballed each other So said we'll cover <laughs> and uh, he just looked at me I looked at him and he turned around and walked off. He had a reason for doing that, but uh, <laughs> I not know who was.
3: Back to the accident, now so the, um, the I've also heard things about let's say the ambulance itself like that come and the people that they uh, took too long and that they uh, purposely didn't want to revive Diana.
2: Yes, I know, and it's, um, uh, there are a lot of situations where you can discuss that sort of thing. You can say, yes, there's that, there's the CCTV, there's no evidence about the car itself that was it's used and so on. But the problem is that I've got, and all good investigative authors uh, might my view must do, is to only put down the facts, no, the truth, the, the details, something you can prove, not stuff that you believe might be the case. So when it came to the the ambulance. Frankly, there is no evidence. There's, there are documents, you can hear what people said to whom, who said what, um, who said in what timing and so on, but none of this actually definitive. And you can, you can draw conclusions. I know a guy is prepared to um, make, make stories up or just go along with his opinions, create an opinion and then put the opinion down as fact. Uh, well, then, yes, I suppose you can make a story up around this, but I'm not prepared to do that. I mean, but that's not... Being investigative, and that 's just uh, giving you my opinion that I want to know my opinion it 's um, you want to know what i believe what i found out what I can show you is the truth, and then you want to form your opinion and that, and that to me how it should be the reader is the, is the judge they read the facts you present to them, and then they make the mind up.
3: right yeah that 's sort of what it should be but uh the world's kinda going a different way lately, you know, with <laughs> so much media just giving their opinion. So
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
3: <laughs> okay. Um now, now I've also seen there's some controversy and um some some things going on around you and uh that you've had to uh write a dissertation here. Um uh what what's yeah. what's that all about? Like
2: well, when I fixed them these changes to my book, um, and I discovered them, and I had quickly started so trying to change them, uh, within a matter of about, um, let's see, about ten weeks of my book, first book, or first publication coming out, um, I had uh, this character uh, called John Morgan, um, who's either a fool or a fraudster, which is what I have described the dissertation. Uh, Coming up with all sorts of stuff. He wrote, uh, actually wrote a book about me, uh, uh, which was just a pack of unbelievable lies, having first of all put in the 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 uh, facts that MI6 um, had put in the book. So basically he had that to start with, and I couldn't disagree with that because it was it was there, and I just read it myself. But then, of course, like, they quickly corrected all that and everything else. And then he said, a pack of lies, really, you would not believe, just building it up into all sorts of horrible stories. And it just wasn't true. So I thought I had to rectify that. So I just put a book out, or sorry, a dissertation out, uh, about 43 pages, called John Morgan, Fool or so, Fraudster. Now, they didn't like that, and the boys in grade didn't like it in London either. It was within a matter of a few weeks. It was taken down off the Amazon site. Um, Now, it's still available on Google, um, iPhones, um, you can get it on your iPhone or your uh, tablet, Um, Barnes & Noble, Max and Google, they're all still selling it, so they couldn't get rid of it altogether, it's still there. And basically describes what's been happening from then, the names of the M six officers involved, what's been going on behind the scenes. Uh, describes the detail of all these nasty little lies you've been telling about me and you know, I've rectified them all about what, 90% of them all the way down on the side there describing um, what he was saying is just not true. Um, now, uh, to be very honest with you here, if I'd had a million dollars spare, and that's what my London lawyers told me I'd need to go and sue in US, UK and Australia, and I say, it may mean, not cost that much, but I have to have it available to pursue it right to the bitter end." Uh, then I would have gone through his jugular straight away, no hesitation. and am being in serious hot water because it's all it a pack of lies, was uh, a pack of lies. But I just didn't have the million dollars there to go and commit against it, so I was completely stuck And that's basically they knew that would be.
3: Right. Well, what do you think the point was for uh, this John Morgan? Like, why, why do you think he did that?
2: Well, he's written a load of junk about the same sort of subjects, um, Godless family books, all with his opinions, Or, something I'm describing it a bit earlier on. Uh, he just writes, he has an opinion, opinions about things, and then he writes stories about his opinions, and he writes them as facts. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you would not believe, and I've got a bit of it here, which is um, describing some of the stuff he's saying in one of his things right now. He's trying to make out that he knows and discovered all the stuff. He's talking about the Andalus, in fact. He's talking about that particular part of it. And he's saying that um, both doctors Martino and De Rossi, who are both working for the intelligence services, no evidence, but he's successfully telling you. And then he goes on to say about um, uh, more... Uh, uh, Dr. De Rossi and Martino would have been working on the night on behalf of an intelligence agency. And there's little doubt that their motive would have involved some form of reward. Probably monetary. Now that's not how you word a non-fiction book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those are his actual words. You just have to write down what you know as facts, not make stories up as you go along. And, and basically I just had to find some way of destroying that. And the reason why he did this is for commercial reasons. Because he makes uh, he makes hope to, make, know, to kill my book off. Because my book was the one but then my six is already set and was going to cause a problem. And he knew that and he wanted to get in the shadows as fast as possible.
3: Right. So now you obviously think that he didn't do a, a great job in investigating. Is there anybody is out else? there that you sort of think has done a good job besides yourself?
2: Yes. There was one guy, uh, one pair, Americans actually, uh, Time Magazine reporters. Um, uh, Sancton and Macaros—they wrote a book um, way back in 198, just after the assassination—and um, theirs was uh, exemplary. It was the well, There are a few others that have been written that have been quite you know, readable, um, but apart from mine, that has really now caused my six a serious problem. Uh, that one from um, Sancton and Macaros was um, was exceptionally good. Uh, they, they went to um, time. They didn't give you a load of rubbish or opinions. They gave you facts as they gleaned them, uh, and the facts they managed to discover were quite alarming. And uh, I think it was largely down to that book those guys wrote. I they're based in Los Angeles. That that I think is what caused the whole problem. That's what caused Mi6 the problem. That's what caused the monarchy the problem. If that book hadn't come out, the whole lot might have quietened down um, within a couple of years. Right,
3: and all the facts that. Um kind of have come out in this. What do you think would be the one that would cause the biggest sort of shock from people?
2: Um, You mean what, as far as the the building up towards the attack or what? Yeah. Um, I I think the, the brutality of it but then I suppose you could argue well they're going to have something that's got to look like an accident and it did have to look like an accident uh, they couldn't just do something an you know, injector or something and just have it just expire and examine that and be found that it had to look like an accident that was crucial that was it had to be brutal um, I think the whole thing the whole story is, is just disgusting from the beginning to the end and I'm ashamed of my country for this um, it's It is beyond the pale quality we can ever behave in that manner, Uh, and it's a bit like, in a way, to my mind, when I start getting into politics elsewhere, particularly that, you know, this business about ISIL and ISIS and stuff. And when Britain and the US, go and attack Iraq in the second so-called war, where we murder half a million women and children whilst they still lay in their beds asleep, incinerating them and so on while they slept, Uh, and then Tony Blair being interviewed and saying, well. He wasn't a very nice man, that was only excuse for, for doing what he did. Uh, that to me just disgusts me. And I think it's about time the people stood up and said, like, sex fee enough, finish.
3: Yeah. Uh, so and now, I've, with with Diana, why, why is there still so much interest in her, and that, about this whole...
2: Be- because they know, the people know, instinctively know, that there was murder. Um, too much evidence came out. Uh, sanctum McLeod did a good job there. Um, then a lot more evidence started coming out. Um, people began to realize that basically there, there's more to this than met the eye. Um, for example, I, I know one of there's some interesting stuff happens across the board. Um, I, I know a guy called David Jones. He was one of David Cameron's inner sanctum cabinet members until just about four months ago. Um, he'd read my book and he and his wife had two and his uh, PA. Uh, and he said to me, if I have a problem uh, with MI6 continuing going on the line, let him know. Hey, have a word with William Hague. William Hague at the time was the British Foreign Secretary who was the political boss of MI6. Um, I said, fine, not now the Let me just see how things go through and we'll work it out. Um, a few months back, uh, two people were sacked in a David Cameron's cabinet. David Jones and William Hague. Uh, David Jones went completely, and William Hague was taken, step down as Foreign Secretary, and I became the uh, leader of the House. So I think there might be another huge coincidence, but I think perhaps not. Um, they couldn't have the boss of MI6 be prepared perhaps to go and have a word with them on my behalf. That wouldn't be <laughs> <That laughs> <stand. laughs> have worked too well. So I think that was probably part for sort a of reason. Right.
3: And so, what do you think of the inquest that they did with uh, Diana?
2: Completely set up, uh, complete sham. Um, it was it, they had some. Well, you look at the people who had before. Two of them stood down because they thought it was suspicious. Uh, Dame Butler's loss uh, came along with a friend, personal friend of the Queen. Uh, and then she tried to come in and sit and form an illegal jury, as so described by three law lords after five had to challenge it. So the shoe is bruised out, and then we have this guy come in, uh, 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 Scott Baker, who um, frankly was just, um, in my view, keep on saying that for legal reasons, was setting the whole thing up. He's there to, to gloss over the whole thing, give a nice sham presentation. Uh, cover over all the main areas where the, 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 the serious issues are needed debating. None of them were. Everything was glossed over as irrelevance. All the important questions were avoided. And I know that because i spent three or four years beforehand giving the evidence about what had happened before, and I know all the things he missed out. Everything of any relevance, everything that was potentially dangerous.
3: The bodyguard that uh, uh, Trevor Jones. Yeah. So, have you ever read his his kind of book on this subject?
2: Yes, I have. It's appalling. <laughs> yeah. so. I mean, you know, you've got the facts, some of the facts written down there, I suppose, but the, the, the English is dreadful. Um, Absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you want to know what, what's happened from his perspective, thing you can do is read it or so and fill up with the way it's written. Um, yeah, I mean, what he's written, though, in any, in any event, I just don't see, it doesn't fit in with the evidence at all. Um, he has towed the line to make it sound more uh, how they want it to sound. He's taken the side of MI6. This is the name of the comment I a moment ago about instead of Karen McKenzie fires uh, housekeeper with a fire. remember, Bill killed me. I uh, say so he was very clearly not intended, to put his life on the line. So I think he should play ball, and they stood on the line. Oh. Where do you
3: go from here? What's what's your plans coming up in the future here?
2: Well, um, I'm now working with um, Desol again to try and get this um, uh, this line set up over here, Amazon dot UK, sort of that. Now the dot com and sort of that. Um, then I uh, have to try and um, get my dissertation put back up on Amazon because uh, that's where it should be. you are entitled to read the truth, I believe draw the right conclusions. Uh, I need to have the other the, the lies removed, taken down, uh, because they should be. And I've uh, got the information for, uh, let's go to the US, the Amazon legal side, and let's go over this next couple of days. Um, it's because the UK side, were are very happy to leave the way it is. That's <laughs> exactly where it is, squashing my book and taking away the criticism of uh, the other rubbish because they want people to go and buy the other one uh, because it's going to absolutely nowhere. There's no evidence. It's just going to absolutely nowhere. And that they can handle. They can't handle people reading my book, so So um, that's just happening.
3: Mm. Okay. So now how do uh, listeners get a hold of you? So if they want to get a hold of you or send you a message, or how would they do that?
2: Um, I've got a website called, it's Probity Press, P-R-O-B-I-T-Y. P-R-E-S-S dot com. Uh, and then can come onto that on my website and just drop me a, a, a note. I get the notes come through to me very, very quickly indeed, and i respond to all of them. So,
3: okay. And um, where, c- where can they get your book now? Right now, it's still at Amazon?
2: Well, Amazon dot com, uh, <laughs> I say, it was literally less than a week ago. It's probably about Wednesday, it was probably right. So it's for the last three or four days, I uh, had um, fBA at Amazon tested to make sure they could do it and this is yes you can buy it now uh, so you can get it from amazon.com
3: great well thank you very much for joining us tonight
2: and that's all delighted to speak to you to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows
1: from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com <laughs>
2: has been completed the end by george
1: he's got it it is the end i'll tell
2: you if you're lying to me i'll be back this
1: has been a production of
0: something with media
3: Acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend
1: wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com